Our text today is taken from Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Before opening the book, a few introductory remarks for your consideration may perhaps be in order. There is authority in this universe, and every man is under it, whether he likes it or not. When God created man to live in this world, he put him under that authority and gave him certain commandments. Fallen man is a rebel. He inherited rebelliousness originally from Adam and Eve, and specifically from his immediate parents, and we ought to add that it is his own innate nature to be a rebel. He does not like to acknowledge any authority, and he does not want to feel that he has a responsibility to anyone. But that is the way the system was set up by God, and that's the way it has always been, even in a society like ours where we feel that we are virtually free from every vestige of authority. We will have to pay our income tax. We have to abide by the laws. In times of national calamities, young men have to go to war. We have to work and make a living and be answerable to some boss somewhere. That's just the way life is. Everything around us teaches us that no matter what our ideology about freedom and free moral agency, we are under authority. We have to be under authority. And in our present imperfect state, it is a great blessing. It is good for us to be under authority and to be disciplined. You may say that you are not convinced and that you do not like it. Whether we are convinced of it and whether we like it or not, we are under the authority of God. God has laid down certain rules for his creation, and we must answer to those rules, and we will answer to them. God demands righteousness, right behavior from man. Everything goes back to God and the rights of ownership and control by merit of his creatorship. Now, the evolutionists, the sociologists, and the anthropologists try to tell us that we did not come from God, and we do not need God and supernatural intervention in order to be here. We can explain our existence in perfectly normal, natural, uniform ways. But these arguments are simply foolish. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Nobody, not even the person who propounds them, really believes those lies. Though he will not admit it publicly, he acknowledges the dishonesty in himself. The fact is that he is driven by ulterior and dishonest motives. Every man really knows that we have to answer to God, the Creator, someday. If he says otherwise... He is a liar. God did not create us for any other reason than to be righteous and to be in his image. The judgment is going to be based on this. 
when this judgment comes, God will be concerned with that which is true and not how things now appear to us to be. Thus St. Paul the Apostle wrote to the church at Rome and said, When the heathen, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the works of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. In other words, what matters is what people do. It does not matter what nationality they are, what they have, what they look like. It doesn't matter what they've been taught, whether they've been religious people steeped in religious traditions or untaught men, going with their own conscience and abilities to observe life and society around themselves. The important thing is, who does that which is right? If man has not seen the written code, it really doesn't matter, because he has a conscience. He knows when he's doing right, and he knows when he's doing wrong. If he does wrong, his conscience accuses him. But if he does right, his conscience excuses him. This is what is going to be brought to light in the day when God reveals the secrets of men's hearts. Now, all of us at times have been glad that others cannot see into our thoughts. We keep up appearances, but we know ourselves, and sometimes this causes us to wonder why it is that everybody is so much better than we are. We see all these wholesome people with their good thoughts who are so sincere and pure, but here we are with all these dark, devious, angry, selfish, and seamy thoughts running through our head. Why is it that everyone is so much better than I am? But the truth is that this is a universal problem. All of us have those deep, dark secrets of the heart where we think that people cannot see. So much of what is judged to be good on the surface is corrupt when viewed in the light of the motive and the conscience. We did something for somebody and everybody said, isn't that nice? What a fine person to do such a noble thing. But if they could see the motive of the heart, well, it might not look so fine. It might have been a selfish, calculated, and schemed thing. Maybe the person we did it for has something we want, and we're only setting him up to get more out of him in return. Sometimes we wonder how man can get away with this sort of thing. The truth is that he cannot get away with it. The hidden things are going to be brought to light. Jesus said that everything that is done in private will be made known. The secret that is whispered in the closet in the ear will be shouted from the housetop, and there is nothing hidden that shall not come out into the open. We may as well face up to this kind of a proposition. 
in the day of judgment, we're going to be put on the judgment seat before God with all of humanity from the start to the finish looking on. Heaven is going to be used for a screen and God is going to start up his projector and play back our lives right down to the very thoughts and intents of our heart, the very motivations that we had, every secret thing that we thought, Listen to it in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You may immediately want to ask, well, what about Jesus Christ? What about grace and what about salvation? And we're not going to dwell too much on that at the moment because it comes in a little later We want to look at what we have before us. The point here is that the secrets of men's hearts are going to be revealed. They are going to be revealed. That's what it says. One of man's oldest vices in this world is religion. Now we need to understand that religion is not necessarily good. No, it's not necessarily bad either, but it's not necessarily good. And it has been a vice that man has had and by which he has tried to justify himself from antiquity. Religion hasn't only been used for justification, but a host of other things as well. Everything from gaining dictatorial control over people's thoughts and lives to extracting from them all of their money and materials have been attempted and carried out through the power of religion. Licentious and immoral purposes, murderous cruelty, have been excused under the banner of religion. It is a vice which man has wielded like a club. I'm not condemning all facets of religion because the Bible speaks of pure religion and undefiled, though it's not what we ordinarily think of religion as being, I'm merely pointing out that religion in and of itself is not necessarily a good thing and has most often in history been a bad thing that has been widely used by evil, misbehaving, corrupt, greedy, ambitious man who is trying to justify himself or to pull off some other shenanigan. Today, on the television, in the newspapers, and on the radio, there are multitudes of people that have ideas on just about everything. Everybody is on a talk show. Everybody has written a book. And everybody knows everything about how to raise children, solve racial problems, the problems in the Middle East, and everything else. Everyone wants to tell how it is and to control someone else's life and affairs. One gets the distinct feeling sometimes that these people who are telling these things do not know a thing in the world, not a thing in the world. They just want to talk and hear the sound of their own voice to get an audience, to attract some attention to themselves, and to get some power and wield it over others. The obvious implication is that they, being the ones who are doing the telling, the criticizing, and the manipulating, don't have these problems themselves. One of the real hypocrisies in our society is to see musicians, 
actors, professional athletes lecturing children about the evils of drug use when most all of them have been guilty of drug abuse and some of them are so strung out when they're making these commercials that they can hardly stand up long enough to get it shot or to talk straight enough to be understood. This has been particularly true in religion. Even with men who do not know what they are talking about in terms of presenting God's law and truth, the question still remains, is that person an example of what he is teaching, or is he just bringing forth something for others to follow that he himself does not feel any conviction about or any dedication to? It has been customary for a man when he sets out to become a religious teacher and to lay out responsibilities and duties to feel that this automatically means that he is a good person. I mean, if he isn't honorable and just, then why would he be doing this? It must be so. And he should be looked on in this way by others. But it is interesting to me that when Jesus Christ was in this world, the group of people that he was the hardest on were the religionists. His principal target was the Pharisees, and particularly the lawyers or the lawgivers. Now, these weren't necessarily lawyers in today's use of the term. They were men who studied the law of Moses and explained to the people of the Jewish faith and to proselytes to that faith from any nation what their responsibilities were under that Mosaic code. Now once when Jesus was teaching, it was evident that his sayings were biting deep into these lawyers who thought of themselves as inevitably righteous because they were religious teachers. So one of them said, Master, thus saying, you reproach us also. In other words, he said, surely you don't mean to reproach the lawgivers, who are teaching the people their responsibilities. I think you need to clarify your words a bit because I know you didn't mean that, but it certainly sounds that way. Jesus' reply was, Woe unto you lawyers, hypocrites, for you bind on men grievous burdens to be borne and heavy, but you yourselves don't lift one of your little fingers to do any of the things that you teach to others. Therefore, he said, yours is the greater damnation. To become a religious teacher and to claim to understand truth and to make demands and instructions on others does not justify the one doing the teaching. Well, this is what St. Paul is saying here, even though some of the language gets a bit obscure. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and rest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light to them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which have the form of knowledge and of truth in the law. Ye therefore which teach others, teachest thou not thyself? Ye that preaches that a man should not steal, do you steal? You say that a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? 
Ye that abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? You make your boast of the law, but through breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the heathen through you, as it is written. The point that the apostle is making is this. Here is a man who is condemned before God. He is filled with all of these vices that we have read about. He's a rebel against God. But instead of being repentant and doing anything about his own life, he he takes the self-righteous position of becoming an instructor of others. Now, Jesus never condemned the ministry of teaching others if one first gave attention to his own life. Jesus never said that you should not try to help your brother with his problems. He said that it is hypocritical of you to try to remove the little spot that is in your brother's eye when you've got this big beam in your own and you haven't found any time and impetus to do anything about it. What Jesus condemned was the spirit of trying to tell others how to live and what to do when we do not give any attention to our own lives. In fact, it is an alternative to doing something about your problem. The first thing that guilty people want to do is start talking about the shortcomings of others. One of the things that I have counseled young women about in the 31 years of my ministry is when your boyfriend starts laying a guilt trip on you, watch out. He's covering up for something that he doesn't want you to find out about. Religious teachers are notorious for this problem. Part of the reason religion isn't taken more serious today more seriously today, is that in many instances, religious leaders are quite careless with their lives and neglect the very things that they instruct others to do. And there are notable examples of major misbehavior that has brought particularly televangelism into serious reproach. But this is not a vice that is limited by any means to religious leaders. Don't get smug because you're not a religious leader. There are many in our society who fall into the condemnation of complaining about what others do as a means of diverting attention away from themselves. They profess to understand the truth and goodness and what is required of people. They are professionals at telling other people what they should do. They think that somehow in taking this stance and positioning themselves in this way that they are automatically showing themselves to be above reproach. But St. Paul said that this is not at all true. You are professing to know all of these things, he said, but by upholding them and teaching them that they are good and then not doing them yourself, you are blaspheming God and his truth. You're not doing anything good at all. It would be better if you did nothing at all. You're making a mockery of the truth by the way you personally disregard it. You do not have the compassion, 
the generosity, the love, the tenderness, and the integrity that you teach that men should have and that you call upon others to have. Therefore, being a religious person and upholding religious thought and teaching doesn't make anybody good if he isn't good. Standing in the position of a teacher of religion will never be a substitute for living a righteous life and having good, decent, honorable, and acceptable thoughts and behavior before God. Now, certain terms have a specific meaning most of the time. At other times, they're used in such a way that the meaning is enlarged to take on a broader, almost representative tone. Such are the cases of circumcision and uncircumcision in this text. As to its literal meaning and its religious significance in Israel, it was an identifying mark upon the body. It was made by the cutting away of the flesh of the male children. Some commentators say it had issues of sanitation and health as well as religious significance connected with it. Well, that may be so, but its primary significance was religious. It symbolized the cutting away of the flesh of the heart and the purifying of the life to God. It did not mean the absence of pleasure in the life of the male Israelite, but it signified a refusal to let pleasure, and particularly the sensual pleasures of life, run on unchecked. This practice set purity and discipline and holiness toward God above sensual pleasures. In Israel, it was more a religious symbol and testimony than it was a physical thing, although it had physical benefits too. Through the years, circumcision came to stand for the whole system of Jewish worship, liturgy, and tradition and religion. It is in that sense and context that it's used here and not in the narrow, literal sense. It is identifying a subscription to the tradition of religion as opposed to an understanding in the heart of what this religion meant in terms of principles and practices in the individual life. For circumcision, he said, verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. In other words, if you abide by the spirit of truth that the law teaches, then your religious show will have meaning. It will be a testimony to the world, directing attention to your life, where men may see the living reality of the things you profess to believe in your religion. But if you don't do those things in your life, then your religion will be a hypocrisy. Your profession will mock God, and it will be the very thing that the world will look at and accuse the faith and the truth because of. Professing outwardly to believe things that you do not do is a negative thing. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, 
shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. If a man has no religious tradition and liturgy, but he understands the law of God and abides by it in his heart, will not this obedience of his project to the world the real testimony of truth which the whole canon of religion is supposed to represent his obedience to God's law, in other words, will be his religion. 